Good morning, everyone. Today we will study Parashat Shofetim. Parashat Shofetim starts off with the law of Shofetim with Shotrim. Shoftim are judges, Shotrim are officers. And this uh, is law and order, essentially. The Torah says that in every city, there has to be judges and officers. The judges to be there when people have questions that they could go, so they could mediate between people and they have uh, civil cases, capital cases, the, the courts need to be available. And then there have to be officers there as well so that they could enforce the law, right? And so this is the idea of law and order. The Torah is not only teaching us religious um, rituals that we have to perform in our in our homes, in our synagogues, in our batekenes, etc., but it's also how to live as a, as a civilization. You need to make sure that you have law and order. So that's what the beginning of the Torah tells us. And then once you start speaking about the judges, the Torah gives us a lot of um, qualifications for what the judges need to be. And it, this Torah, the Torah here in this parasha doesn't even list them all. So one of the things the Torah says is, Lo takir panim. Lo mishpat, lo takir panim. You should not recognize faces. What does it mean not to recognize faces as a judge? That means in all directions. If a person is a judge and then they see a very wealthy individual come into the room, and they're going to have a court case. Now, the fact that this person is wealthy could bias the person in saying, wow, I should really help this person because this is someone important and they could help me down the line. So let me tilt toward the, the court case toward the wealthy person. Or you might say the opposite. You might say this wealthy person is coming here for a case that's a couple hundred bucks. What are you wasting everyone's time? You're wasting my time, their time. Are you kidding me? You deserve to lose because... To you, this $1,000 that you're going to lose is not going to make any difference in your life. So since I recognize who the person is, again, it's swaying my judgment. You could say the same, the, the opposite with someone who's uh, poor. Someone who is poor and not wealthy, um, a person might feel bad and have mercy for them and want to help them out. Or they might say, this is someone that's a low life. I'm not going to help them out because they can never give me something back. All of these are incorrect. Lo takir pani means do not recognize faces. Don't recognize the people that are coming in. If you have a relationship with one of the people coming in the court case, it's a it's a potential problem. You need to check your biases uh, and, and to ask yourself if there's some something issue here. The Talmud recounts many stories of rabbis who uh, were sitting on a uh, court case, and as the person walks in, they realize that they have to recuse themselves from the court case because. This person has done them a favor. This guy delivers my milk in the morning. This guy delivers this in the morning. This guy has helped me in the past with this. One time I once had some a dirty shirt and this guy came and he helped clean it off without knowing anything. It was years ago. I once needed to travel somewhere and this guy gave me a lift. These type of things uh, bias someone. So the, the Gemara tells us many stories of rabbis that have recused themselves from the court case. I can't deal with this court case because I'm biased. Now, Excuse me. To take it a step further, the Torah says, Do not take a bribe. Because when someone takes a bribe, it perverts your judgment. It blinds you. It, it Someone who can see can now become blind. It completely creates a unconscious bias. So let's say there's a case where I already, I've seen this type of case a million times. And I'm the judge. I already know what the ruling is going to be. And I'm going to be honest. And I've done this court case exactly textbook 100 times I've done this. I know exactly who's going to win. And then the guy comes and, and slips me a $100 bill. Am I allowed to accept it? 
I know what the court case is going to be. What he says is not even going to sway my decision. And let's say I know it's going to be against him. And even if I accept $100, I'm still going to go against him. The answer is absolutely not. Lo tikach shochad. The second someone takes a bribe, their complete their uh, judgment will be impaired. This is a fact that the Torah is telling us. So a person should absolutely not take a bribe. The next line, the Torah says, Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdof. Go after justice, go after justice. Justice, justice you should pursue. So there's a lot of different opinions as to why it repeats justice twice. Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdof. It could just say, Tzedek, Tirdof. Go after justice. Pursue justice. But it says it twice. Why? Many, many answers. Uh, one of the things that uh, Rabbi Benchaim has told us, uh, told us very nicely is that <clears throat> a person might do something in the name of justice, but it's incorrect. So, for example, a person might do some sort of a business deal, and the business deal they're going to make some money, and then they say, "Okay, but I'm going to give a, I'm going to give thirty percent of the proceeds to charity." Right? You say, "Well, by doing this, I'll make give a lot of charity." Tzedek, tzedek, tzedek. Giving charity is tzedek, but do the tzedek in a righteous way as well. Pursue righteousness through complete righteousness, not through perverted actions. So in this case, you step back and say, no, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because even though I would be doing what's correct by giving the charity, but I'm going to be doing it in an improper way. To do things that are correct in proper and correct ways. And this is something that's very important. Rabbi right? Chaim has told us a story of... Um, of a friend of his who uh, was visiting Morocco and there was a court case in Morocco where there was a Jewish person and a non-Jewish person coming to the the Jewish bedin, the Jewish court, to have the case reviewed by the Jewish rabbis. It was a non-Jewish uh, It was an Arab with a Jew. They were in a business deal. They came to the Jewish court. And what the rabbi who was overseeing the court realized that the Jewish person was incorrect. He was, um, he had to pay. And so he worked with him and he spoke with him and meaning the court, the judge told the Jewish person, you need to pay. And he worked it through so that they settled and they figured it out. And then afterwards, Israel Benheim's friend who was there went up to the, to the Arab and said, why are you coming to a Jewish court? Uh, there are other courts here in Morocco. Go to one of the local courts. Why are you coming to a Jewish betin? And the Arab non-Jew responded to him. He said, because I know that those courts, they accept bribes. And the Jew will give a bribe to the non-Jewish court. But I know that your rabbi will not accept any bribes. So I came to the Jewish court because I know that they're going to do something that's correct. Okay, so in this case, this the two litigants in this case, the Jew happened to be wrong, which is why the, the Betin told the, the Jew that, they, that he has to pay. But what's beautiful about this story is that you know, you might say, well, hold on a second. It's a Jewish court and a Jew and a non-Jew comes. Well, let's go ahead and bias toward the Jew. No, the court did the opposite. The court told the Jew that he needs to pay the non-Jew. And when they asked the non-Jew why, and he said why he came to the Jewish court, he said, it's because I know that you don't accept bribes and you do everything correctly. That's the standard that you need to hold yourself until. That lo takiru panim. You don't recognize faces. We don't know who you are. There's, we're reviewing the case. We're, we're not friends with one over the other. And it's a very, very high standards for judges. It's something that's very important. Okay, very beautiful. We spoke about the, the law and order, the judges. Now, uh, the next section goes a step further by clarifying the authority of the main 
Betin Hagadol, the main Supreme Court of Am Yisrael. The Supreme Court, what's called the Sanhedrin, was a court made of 71 judges. And you're talking about the top of the top. And that Sanhedrin, like, the throughout history, there was always a, um, let's say, Moshe Rabbeinu was the head of that court in the times of the desert. Moshe Rabbeinu was in the head of the court. But throughout history, we always had the top of the top judges on the Supreme Court of 71 judges. The Torah is telling us, describing to us what the authority of that court is. And the Torah says, let's say there's a situation where you don't know what the law is. When there's a court case, that the smaller courts, they don't know how to deal with it. And they take this up to the higher court. They go to the Supreme Court, which will be in the place where God chooses. Now, what that means is that the Sanhedrin was situated with the Mishkan. Or with the Beit Hamikdash, so the Sanhedrin in the times of the Beit Hamikdash was in Jerusalem, in the Lishkat Gazit, in the place of the Beit Hamikdash. That's where the court was situated. So if you don't know what to do, you go to the Supreme Court, which is in Jerusalem, in Yerushalayim, and you ask them what you should do. They will tell you what to do, meaning they'll tell you what the correct judgment is, and follow the word of that judge. Whatever they describe to you, whatever their guidance is, whatever their guidance is, you have to follow. Do not veer right or left at all from the word of the court. What the court decides is what you have to do. And the Torah says, If someone refuses to listen to the word of the court, the Torah tells us, uh, that person deserves to be executed. Now, what this means is the Torah is telling you that the Supreme Court has the authority over the final say of the law. And the there is a Torah, the written Torah, but that written Torah needs to have the Supreme Court to explain it, to clarify it, and sometimes to even add to it. Not to add to the Torah by saying we're changing the Torah, but to add laws in order to reinforce the Torah. And that's very much in the authority of the court. The court, the Sanhedrin, would often make takanot, or enactments, or gezerot, decrees. They would make these things, and what the Torah here is telling us, is that when they pass a ruling, you have to follow what they say, and it becomes a letter of the law. What they Their word is a letter of the law, and one who doesn't, it, it's punishable to the highest degree of a punishment that you could even imagine, uh, of death. That's showing you the authority and the jurisdiction of the Torah. Why is this important? Because, you know, there are some that say, I'll follow the Torah, I'll follow what's written, but I don't want to hear what the rabbis have to say. Okay, when you say, I don't want to have to hear what the rabbis have to say, well, there's different rabbis. There could be some, uh, there could be an individual rabbi that says something that the law does not follow him, which which is fair. The, the, the laws of, Halachot is halacha If you have a minority opinion against majority opinions, the law is like the majority opinion. Here, we're not talking about a single rabbi. We're talking about the Supreme Court. When the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, passes a law as rabbis, and sometimes they'll do it in the explanation of what the Torah means, and sometimes they're adding an enactment or a, a decree. Once they pass something, once they say something, going against it is going against the Torah. For someone to say that I only follow the Torah Shebikhtab, but not the Torah Shebaalpeh, I follow the written Torah, the book, but not the explanations of the rabbis of the, the courts give. You see, the Torah itself is telling you that you have to listen to what they say.
Do not veer right or left from what they say. Okay, very good. Next section of the Torah, just to move along, is the law of the king. The Torah says when you enter the land of Israel and you settle in and you, you say, hey, we want to have a king like everyone else, that's fine. You can go ahead and appoint a king. However, there are some limitations placed on this king. Number one, he should not have too many horses. What that means is um, we're not talking about a military, right? So the horses, especially in those days, was very much the, the um, part of the military that we saw with Egypt against Am Yisrael. But it wasn't talking, it's not talking about your military. It's talking about out of, like, say you have horses running in front of you. Like, I guess this is, um, what do you call it? A motorcade, if you will. Don't have too much. So the, the sages will identify and clarify what that means by too much. But conceptually, what this means is, is that you're not the most important thing that you can do whatever you want with people's money and just uh, do extravagant spending for your own, um, to, to, you know, blow your own bubble, um, to feed your own ego. Don't have too many horses. Don't have too many wives. Again, since a person is in this position, he might feel that he can do whatever he wants to whoever he wants. No, he cannot. There's a limit to how many wives. Now it's not, it's not a small limit. Um, the, there is an idea of that we see exposed to us by Shlomo HaMelech, by King Solomon. By Shlomo HaMelech, he would marry women from different countries, different nations, as part of uh, peace alliances, peace treaties. You'd make a deal with someone and to show that they're they're serious. And like part of it is they would marry. They would marry. So, okay, you can you can have more than one, but not too many. Also, he shouldn't have a lot of money. Again, the treasury of the government can have, but he himself personally, he should not be in a position where he's having too much. Okay, so obviously you need to clarify what is too much for all of these. But the point of all of this is, is that he needs to be kept in check. There has to be some uh, checks and balances over the king. And the final law is uh, he needs to have a Sefer Torah with him at all times. At all times, he needs to have a Torah with him. And as he walks around with the Torah, he is reminded that he is not above the law. Again, this the whole section is telling us that the king is not above the law. And the Torah says one very beautiful line. The Torah says, by following all of these laws, what ends up happening is a person is reminded that he should not for a second think that he is above any of his brothers. He is not any more important than anyone else. The, the nation that he is the king over those people, he is not superior to them. Now, of course, he is the king. And with being the king, it demands a certain amount of respect. But that doesn't mean you could bend the laws. It doesn't mean you could that you're above the law. Because when he has too much money or too many wives or too many horses or these things, what's going to end up happening is that he thinks that he's better than other people, that he's more important than other people. And he's not. As a person, he's not. As a role, it's a very important role. But as a person, he's not any more important than anyone else. Now, the Ramban says something very nice here. Ramban says, look, the king at the end of the day is in a very important position. If the Torah is telling us to keep the king in check so that he doesn't become haughty, how much more so for someone who's not a king? How much more for so for a regular person, for someone to think that they're more important than others, that they are better than others, that... It's um, the Ramban is explaining that the Torah is telling us that someone who really deserves to be on a higher level shouldn't view himself as a higher level. The king deserves to be above everyone else because he he's in a very important position, and even him, the Torah keeps him in check. 
so much all the more so for someone who is not in that high position that really doesn't have any reason to be haughty, that of course he should not be haughty over others. This is something that the Ramban explains very nicely. Okay, I want to explain maybe one or two more things. Um, the Torah then teaches us the idea of a Aremiklat, cities of refuge. Very interesting. Uh, we don't really have something like this, but I'll explain. Um, the, what the Torah tells us is that Again, within the theme of law and order, there will be times that there will be murderers amongst us. And when there's a murderer, you need to take him to court. You need to do your research. You need to do the investigation. And if the person is found guilty of murder, then the person will get the execution, the death penalty. Okay, so that's what the Torah tells us from the law of the Torah. Um, but then the Torah says, let's say someone uh, killed someone. It wasn't voluntary. It was involuntary. It was an accident. And the classic example that the Torah tells us is the guy is just chopping his wood. And as he's chopping his wood, as he's going back, the axe, the head blade of the axe falls off and it goes and it hits someone and kills them. Now, obviously, this is very, very sad and tragic. The person is killed um, when the axe goes back. But the person didn't have the, the intent to murder so does he deserve the death penalty for it? Again, there has to be research done. And if the research says that, look, it was a complete accident. There was 100 witnesses. We saw that he wasn't trying to kill him. It was an accident. So what are you going to do? So this is what the Torah says. If you let him out free, then what might end up happening is the relatives of the person who was killed, the victim, the relatives might come after you and kill, kill him. And that's not going to be safe for him. He needs some safety. He needs some protection. Um, so what do we do? So the Torah says there are these cities called the Aremiklat. Aremiklat is when someone kills someone unintentionally. They go there as refuge to be protected from the victims of the one that he had killed unintentionally. This is a very sad uh, predicament. Um, but again, what the, the purpose of the Torah is here is you can't have people taking the law in their own hands and going and saying, well, you killed him, so I'm going to kill you. And you're going to, and then he's going to go and kill them. And everyone's going to end up dead. There needs to be law and order. There needs to be investigations in court cases. And when there is an investigation and someone is found guilty, justice will be served. But when not, then you can't allow people who are, even though that they have their every right to be completely upset and furious and want to get revenge you can't as a society you can't allow anyone to go do whatever they want to whoever they want because they think that um someone deserves death right obviously you need to maintain law and order which is another uh very important theme that flows through our entire parasha okay uh, i do want to uh, there's a few more things in the parasha but i'll stop here i do want to say a little bit about slichot we are now in the month of elul in the month of elul we have uh, uh this Faradim. what we say every morning or really after midnight at night but really every morning before tefillah we do the slichot prayers and the truth is it could be done at any point during the day there are some people that will say slichot in the afternoon that's also completely fine um, there is this practice, this custom for us to read the Salichot. Salichot are uh, singing different tefillot, different prayers, begging for forgiveness, pointing out specific sins that we've done wrong. So the text of the, the Sidur, the Salichot, will, will list and itemize different sins that we do. Now, it's our job to make that personal, that as we're reading this list, to bring it personal in our lives. Things that we've done that's incorrect, things that we want to improve, 
we need to use that itemized list, that laundry list that's in the Siddur and make it personal. Otherwise, um, it's not personal, right? So you, you need to take that list that's written and bring it into your own life and things that um, that you've done in your life that you want to improve of. The idea of slichot is so beautiful because there's a lot of singing. There really is a lot of singing. And there's something very special about slichot. Many people come uh, and it's not easy. It's very early and men come, women come, people are who don't come throughout the rest of the year. They show up for this month. They try to come sometimes. There's something special about singing. There's something special about song that it really strikes the a chord in someone's heart, right? So the, there's a pasuk in Torah that says, There are certain things that you know in your mind, but there is a long road between the mind and the heart. And song and singing has a power that very often it takes things that we know in our mind and brings it into our heart. This is part of Slichot, the way it's been written, and the way we have these songs, um, these tunes, these pizmonim, these these uh, different nigunim, what it does is that it helps open up our hearts to uh, to want to do teshuva. Things that we have been doing wrong our entire lives, we are now taking a moment to stop and to say, I want to improve my life. If there is ever something in your life that you are waiting to do, you know you want to improve something, and you're just waiting for the right opportunity to get started with it, now's your opportunity. When we enter the month of Elul, now is the time to say, those things that I've been wanting to do, that I've been pushing off, I've been waiting for something, here it is. This is what you're waiting for. The month of Elul is the time to take all of those things that we wanted to do, put them into practice, and to actually do it. I hope this month is a time where we can focus on growth, on self-development, on self-reflection, and to ask for forgiveness for our sins, and to change those actions to become better, to improve. And Be'ezrat Hashem here at some may we all be inscribed in the Book of Life this year because of our tefilot to Hashem, because of our good actions, and because of our commitments and our new commitments to improve, to become better. Be'ezrat Hashem, may Hashem answer all of our tefilot uh, With that, I'll pause and I'll open up if there's any questions. Otherwise, we could stop here. Okay, we'll stop here. Bezor Hashem, have a great week, everyone. Uh, I hope and pray that uh, Hashem will answer all, all of our tefillot tova. See you next week. Bye.